you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B. and Marty are on <laughs> tap to help us navigate the show. Marty. That's it. For us, at least. <laughs> I mean, for us. Yes. You know. Um, when he goes home, it may be something different. And that's okay. <laughs> Not everyone is as cool as we are. Um, hey, I've got to give um, two disclaimers here. Um one disclaimer is on the topic that we're going to discuss today. And again, I give disclaimers. This may be something that is not um, as alarming to some of our listeners, but I do want to make sure that I acknowledge the fact that there are different people who are listening with kids at, of different ages. Yeah. And so, or maybe I should say of varying ages. And so I want to be careful to make sure that if we're going to discuss a topic that may relate to teens and dare I even say preteens, Okay, guys, preteens. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't kid yourselves, especially with the, the content that we're going to lead in with today as we await our guests in the next segment. Um, it's preteens. It's, so don't think 15 and up, 14 and up. Um, think nine and up. <laughs> okay, and so we're mm. going to talk a little bit about that. But I do want to say if you have a kid maybe that's under nine, um, or maybe you have a kid that you've not introduced this content to. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, that would be a concern. Yeah. So I want to give that disclaimer and just let you know that today, um, the Addisons, what we try to do on this program is we try to equip you to parent or grandparent for the glory of God. And so when we um, are going to explore these topics, hopefully we're going to do that with the utmost respect and regard for you, mm-hmm. but also trying to make sure that you leave um, having been made more aware of what's going on and how you can be more vigilant and more prayerful and act um, in accordance with what you learn. So, so that's the disclaimer. The other disclaimer is more of a personal um, nature (laughs) on a regular basis. I'm having to cough and clear my throat. That's just normal Miki, but I am, I am battling a little bit of a cold Mm -hmm. and, and so that makes it even worse for everyone (laughs) involved so I just want to say that if there, you know, if there uh, happens to be a coughing fit and I, I am I am taken from you suddenly, um, just know that that's what's going on. Uh, but also, let me just say this. <clears throat> and this is not for you to pat me on the back or anything. Look at how much I love you that I'm still here. <laughs> that's all I want to say. Look at how much I love you. I, I, I'm battling a cold. Um, if you could have seen me yesterday, you'd, you'd oh, wonder man. how I'm here today. Yeah. Yesterday was it was. It was bad for everyone involved. When yeah. when your kids start telling you, "Hey, I think maybe if you have coffee," they think no. <laughs> maybe as much as your mother it. loves yeah. coffee, coffee is not the cure all. This right. is not a coffee thing, some right? It this does not cure. No, some and but many things it does. Okay, so no. they're they're right in some ways. Whatever. <laughs> but this is not a coffee cure all. This is a something started with the one year old mm-hmm. and as the primary caregiver. <clears throat> He shares. Yeah, coughing in he, your face. And, in your you know, face, just point blank range. Yeah. Point blank range. And, and you're like. Cover his mouth yet. 
man, you know, you're like, Lord, be a fence <laughs> or a mask or anything that will keep me from this one. Yeah, Dr. Um, Fauci would like that. Yeah. Be a mask. Because if you've got if you've got a one year old, <laughs> and and uh, there are just some things. If your one year old is in your face and he's coughing and 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 his nose is uh, his nose is on the run, <laughs> then you could be you could be a super spreader. Just you yourself, a super spreader. You mean like a bunch of us gathered? No, you you alone, a super spreader. You could be. Um. Anyways, but I'm I'm doing better. It just you know much we, better. Much much better. Yesterday. Not Every, everybody so else that was affected too seemed like today was a, a turnaround moment. Yeah, I think even so. Timmy, who was pretty bad, you know, the super spreader, yeah, the, man, you know, the outbreak monkey, and uh, that's what we call him. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah, ah. He's the one. He's like, the one. He's, he's much, the culprit. Much better as well. Yeah, power, power I, of prayer. Yeah, it, it, listen, and anybody, supplements. you've raised kids, <laughs> prayer and supplements. So <laughs> prayer and supplication or supplements. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's not the same, but could be. <laughs> if you've raised kids. Oh, but boy. some people say um, my shield and butler. <laughs> and butler? it's not butler. Like Benson? You know, <laughs> just, let me just tell oh, you, if anybody wow. out there, if, you, if you've ever prayed and asked the Lord to be your shield and butler, Wow. That's not what he's coming to and, do. And like, I, that's I, not. <laughs> I said Benson. I'm dating myself, man. You are, I said, you are uh, dating Jeffrey. yourself when you say Benson. <laughs> Jeffrey from the Fresh Pence? Prince? Pence. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Fresh Pence. Wow. Mike Anything Pence? I okay. say, remember, I'm battling. <laughs> I am battling. I'm contending here. So just remember, I'm not even supposed to be here. Um, that's, a, that's a great disclaimer to give. Anyways, anybody who's ever raised kids or grandkids, or even if you're that aunt or uncle where you've been around your nieces and nephews, mm-hmm. Um, you know that you take a risk every time you en- encounter them. And guys, this predates COVID. Like yeah. this is this has nothing to do with COVID. This was just <laughs> always a life lesson yeah. that if you have little kids in your life, mm-hmm. you are always taking a risk to be around them. And and probably what should have always happened <laughs> was that you um, were made to sign a waiver when you went into a home that had kids because they <laughs> always were potentially like carriers of something. Man, and it seemed that way. Like when we yes. would have family come over, Always. that's right when they wait until, somebody, yeah. <laughs> you know, they wait until. and then it's they a mad until. scramble to do like uh, yeah. uh, Mike Pence was talking about in the beginning, to stop the spread. Stop the spread. <laughs> <laughs> Can we stop two the days, spread? <laughs> two, two days, days to, to slow the spread. <laughs> two days. And, and, and what you do is you gather all of your little kids around, all of the sicklies, <laughs> and you have a chart just with like graphs and everything. And you're like, if we could do this, if each person could social distance and I don't know, like (laughs) if you could just not lick one another, all of the things, just don't lick each other's faces. Please don't do that. Don't share popsicles. Just any of the things that you guys have been doing. We just need two days to slow the spread. And then you could go back to the nastiness that you're acquainted with just two days. You know, and then we could also, you know, just after the two days, be like, you know what? This is this is working out. Let's keep it this way. Let's not lick each other. Let's just not. Let's make this a habit. Which there's some parents listening right now. They're going, Miki, that's funny. Your kids don't really actually lick one another, do they? (laughs) (laughs) You'd be surprised what your kids will do to one another if it will get a reaction from them. (sighs) Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. One day, one day they'll be sanctified. Write a book. One day. You can tell tell it all later. Oh yeah, and then pay them <laughs> and and they will pay us not to publish it. Right. So, anyways, um those are the two disclaimers. The topic today may not be suitable for younger listeners. We're going to discuss with parents how to talk to your kids about sexuality. And that's that's not just 
um, about sexual intimacy, but sexual identity. This is going to serve as an umbrella conversation, mm. how to talk to your kids about sexuality. Um, I'm looking at this book. We're going to interview um, doctors Robinson and Scott uh, on this topic. They've written a book talking with teens about sexuality, critical conversations about social media, gender identity, same sex attraction, pornography, purity, dating, etc. So we're going to be a little bit ambitious. There's lots, lots, lots to talk about. And and we're going to try to do as much as we can to get through it. I can tell you already, as I've started reading this book, I've not finished, but I'm going to because this book actually hits the age range where we are with Mm. our big three. We're right here in this age range. And, um, and there's some, uh, some information that I have learned already that even as I went into it thinking that, and I, and just thinking because we research, this is what we do, uh, you know, for what we do for a living. And so I went into this thinking, yeah, I'm pretty well acquainted with what's going on. And I understand the way things are kind of shaping up for our young people. Yeah. And I have to tell you, even just in the very beginning, I'm going, Uh-oh. wow, you know, I hadn't, I had not, mm. I had not considered that. I had not thought about that. I and and that. I love books that make me Man. do that. I yeah. really do. Um, and so anyway, this is going to be a valuable resource. I, you know, when guys, I, I am emphatic about the things I'm emphatic about. And I think people who listen to this program know that. And, and when I really think um, that something is going to be a blessing to you, I want to encourage you strongly. One of the other things that I appreciate, even as I was getting into the book, I appreciate um, that they anchor that the foundations are the gospel and the mm. authority of the scriptures and Amen. the authority of who God is and what he has spoken and, and man, you listen, you're going to find a lot of content that will give you some great platitudes about how to talk to your kids about human sexuality. But if those, you know, positions are not anchored and rooted in the authority of scripture. Right. Right. Why? Why waste your time? Right. Just don't even waste your time. So. Right. So anyway, this is this is a great book and I'm enjoying it and already being challenged by it. So we'll have a lot of conversation around that Good. to set up. Um, just, you know, just to give a little bit of, um, we don't really need a table set for this because life is a table set for the conversation we're going to have today, really, the things going on. But this is an article that Will the Great actually sent to me, I want to say Saturday morning. And, um, I was like, wow, you know, (laughs) there's just, there's just no end to it, but this is from christianheadlines.com. And it says that sexting doubles among nine to 12 year olds. Nine to 12. Now, if you're listening and you, you're like, well, wait, but what is sexting? Is it what we think? Yeah, it's what you think it is. It is it is what you think it is. So let me get into this article here and we'll use this as a, um, a table setting for what we're going to get in the second and third uh, segments as we talk about talking with your teens about sexuality. Um, a doubling in the percentage of children ages nine to 12 who shared their own nude pictures online should spark dramatic action by parents and the entertainment industry alike, says the president of a major media watchdog. A new study of over 1,000 minors found that 14%, 14% of those ages 9 to 12 said they had shared their own nude pictures online. Hmm. Ages 9 to 12 had shared their own nude pictures online compared to 6% who answered that way a year earlier. Meanwhile, 21% of children, 21% of children ages nine to 12 
said they believe it's normal for kids their age to share nude pictures online. Hmm. 21% of children, 21% of children ages 9 to 12 said they believe it's normal for kids their age to share nude pictures online. This is an uptick from 13% the previous year. Among minors who have shared nude photos, Mm -hmm. nude selfies, Mm -hmm. to be more specific, among minors who have shared nude selfies, 50% said they had shared such a photo with someone they had never met in real life. 50%. Now, you know, wow. I'm, this is one of those twice and slow reads where you're like, wait, let me just let yeah. me just process this. Let me just kind of take yeah. it in here and understand what's being said. And then you wonder if you're like me, you know, <laughs> you're you're trying to grapple with what's worse. Like as you read these things, you're like, what are the things like? Is it is it worse that they would share this stuff with strangers? And you, and you wonder how are they coming in contact with people that they've never met? Mm-hmm. And how, how is it going, you know, unnoticed by bad. the parents? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But then you go, but but you don't want them sharing this with people that every day. Like, right, that they do. You, know. you don't want them doing this at all. Right. Right? They're and and so bad. you're, you know? they're both bad. And you're trying to figure out how to process this information. So anyway, I'll leave you to thinking about that information. We may run a highlighter over it again. So but I want to get, go But ahead. one of the questions is, you know, does a, a nine to twelve year old really need a device to be able to, like nine, you know. Now I know there's different question. situations, and you know you might have kids who are away from their parents, but do they need that type of phone? Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I think based uh, on previous shows we've done, no, right, no. I I think um, a nice gab phone, yeah. a nice just a phone that you know, but the, but the, <laughs> a dumb phone. You need a dumb phone, you know what I mean? To keep your kids smart, you know, you need (laughs) a dumb phone until the kid, until you can take the training wheels off. Um, Just an average, eh, just an okay phone, you know? Um, And, and, but again, that is provided you care more about the safety of your kid than the coolness Mm. of your kid. Mm. See, we don't care so much about the coolness. We're not into impressing, which by the way, our kids do not yet have phones. That time is coming. We're exploring that. We're talking about that even now researching what that would look like, what kind of phone that would be for them. Um, But I just, you know, sometimes we sacrifice cool for safe. You know what I mean? Or we sacrifice (laughs) safe for cool. I should have said it the other way, you know, but uh, anyway, some of these things we're not able to really clean up after though, Mm. because of that. Let's grab the break. Aaron, the Addison's American family radio, serious conversation for us regarding our teens. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. We are always trying to get information into your hands and uh, equip you to live for the glory of God. And Mm -hmm. one of those ways um, we try to do that is we try to interview um, authors who are writing on the topics that, man, you know, a lot of us are we're really kind of like, you know, in the dark on on these topics. And we're finding it more and more difficult to discuss them. 
And so we've already given a disclaimer just in case you've got really young kids listening um, or the topic of conversation. We're going to talk about um, discussing uh, sexuality, human sexuality with your kids or with your teens. But I think teens in, in the topic that we're going to discuss here may be a little misleading. You may think, oh, well, I can check out if you don't yet have teens. I would encourage you to put a pin in this program and maybe go back and listen to it later, even if you've got preteens, because as you may discover from our conversation that the exploration of human sexuality is not something that begins in the teenage years. Mm. Increasingly, that is true right, in our modern right, context. So right. we're going to be discussing that. But again, um, I want to give you the opportunity to decide when you get to have that conversation. Far be it from me to force that conversation just because you're listening with your younger kids today. So occupy them elsewhere and and maybe plan on listening to the podcast a little bit later, if you will. Our guests joining us today are the co-authors of Talking with Teens About Sexuality. And we're going to kind of do as deep a dive as we can in the time that we have here. Dr. Beth Robinson is a licensed professional counselor and approved supervisor for licensed professional counselors. She's also a certified school counselor and has a teaching certificate. She's a frequent expert witness in legal proceedings involving sexual abuse. Dr. Latane Scott is an award-winning veteran of the Christian publishing industry and has written more than two dozen books. She has a PhD in biblical studies and uh, lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And by the way, Dr. Robinson lives in Lubbock, Texas. Um, Today, we're going to discuss the book that they've co-authored, Talking with Teens About Sexuality, Critical Conversations About Mm. Social Media, Mm. Gender Identity, Same-Sex Attraction, Pornography, Purity, Dating, etc. And it's amazing because that's so much but the et cetera tells you, and, but wait, there's more. Right, and, and even right. the other stuff, right? And so we're going to get into that. Um, doctors Robinson and Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Okay, so I'll do my best to sort of um, to, to have a conversation with both of you so that it's not maybe as, as muddied as, as it could be. Um, but if I ask a question and direct it to one and maybe the other feels um, more suited to or better suited to answer the question, you guys feel free to kind of just decide who wants to take the question. The first thing I want to do is make an observation and um, maybe just kind of go from there. I, I feel like for the work that we do, we have to kind of steep ourselves in what's happening in the culture and we have to have um, an understanding of what we're facing. Even as I started reading your book, I have to tell you, for a person like myself, I was sort of like, okay, so see, didn't didn't realize that, hadn't thought about that, <laughs> hadn't hadn't considered that. And so I already <laughs> I already feel like, man, there's just there's no end to what it is that we think we know that we do not know. And you, um, you guys even begin your book um, kind of with, I guess, provoking the reader to think more deeply about what it is we're facing as it pertains to human sexuality. I'm hoping that you could do a couple things to kind of um, jumpstart this conversation. Take us into that classroom setting where you ask one of your students or you ask your students about what it is that parents don't know about sexuality and their teens. And I may not be phrasing that correctly, but I think it's the perfect place to start. And then from there, I want to go into some of the foundational issues that you guys present early on in the book, because I commend you um, for centering and focusing first on those things that are of utmost importance. And anyway, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. So, so let's start with the setup. Well, this is uh, Dr. Robinson and I teach uh, general psychology to college freshmen. 
And when we started talking about writing this book, I asked them, what do your parents not know about what's happening to teens in the culture today in regards to sexuality? The freshmen were pretty blunt. They said, our parents are clueless. They have no idea how much we're bombarded every day with sexual information. They don't have any clue how easy it is to access porn, how easy it is for people to message us, how much we get unwanted uh, sexual messages and sexual propositions, in essence. It was very eye-opening, more so than in previous years. I, I do these conversations pretty regularly, and I really thought parents would be catching up. I mm-hmm. thought the gap would get smaller mm-hmm. over time, that we would have parents who are more aware of technology and how much it's impacting teens, but it seems the opposite is true because teens are getting isolated Mm. with their technology and their parents don't seem to be aware of what all they're learning through their technology. Now, let me ask you this, Dr. Robinson, and then Dr. Scott, I want to go to you for the follow-up question. Um, But Dr. Robinson, I'm wondering if when we say that parents aren't aware Is that because parents cannot have access to what is bombarding our teens or is it because we will not have access? Is it is it a choice that we are making? Um, And if it is a choice, why are we doing this? Why are we kind of checking lazy parenting? Yes. Hmm. I, I think. We have convinced ourselves as parents that children having access to technology, even at young ages, is appropriate because we put educational games on it mm. instead of being very aware of how that's being used. Mm. Okay. I don't want to call it lazy parenting per se, but perhaps naive parenting, mm. perhaps not having enough time to be intentional about supervision, intentional about what your kids are having access to. Mm. I, I don't think we have very many lazy parents. I think we have busy parents, parents who perhaps are, too busy, maybe keeping Mm. their families too busy that don't have time to slow down and do the kind of intentional supervision they need to do. Mm. Wow. No, that's good. And and I think that probably would lead to a great deal of introspection, you know, because I I think that when we typically think of this, we think, man, you know, just if you just monitor, if you just, and whenever you put the word just in front of something, it (laughs) makes it seem like it's so super easy. Everybody should be doing it. But I think maybe not understanding what the culprit is, that it is busyness, that it is maybe um, maybe a greater trust um, than I don't know. And we'll get into some of that. But, um, Dr. Scott, I, I want to uh, comment on the way the book begins and looking at some of the foundational issues that will be explored. There are many books that are written that will address human sexuality. And there are many talks that are given that kind of begin from a humanist position. So we often find that we're um, reading commentary or we're reading um, works that will, you know, charge us with sort of those things that just seem to be immediately obvious. And, and we remove our convictions from um, a fear of God or the, the authority of scripture, but you, you guys don't do that in this book. I love the foundations that you begin with the assurance of the gospel, the historicity of and the reliability of the scriptures, what it means to be human, the fact that God invented sex and even that sin has a template. That was just brilliant to me. Can we unpack those things just a little bit? 
Sure. Um, we started out with the supposition that I think teenagers can identify with, and that is that there is a supernatural element to our faith. Because so many times I think kids get the idea that church, that uh, spiritual things are how you act in and out of church. When, the, when spiritual things are supposed to be linking us to the unseen supernatural power and authority of God. And because they understand the superhero concept and that almost all power is derived from something, I think that, that could be a starting place, at least theologically, to talk to kids that speaks their language. Now, I have to say, Dr. Robinson is like boots on the ground with kids. And mm-hmm. she she's talking to, to kids every day, uh, especially kids in trouble. So she, whatever she says about what works and doesn't work, um, I have the experience of having had two teenagers of my own. But I don't think I did a particularly good job uh, with educating them in the way I did about sexuality. But I did do a good job in in educating them on scripture, that mm-hmm. we read scripture together, read through the Bible before they left home. And so we did have a basis to talk about because we could go back to that. And I, I wonder when Dr. Robinson talks about us being too busy, I think that's one thing that goes out the door is one on one time with parent and child over the Bible. What's the impact of rooting our kids' views of human sexuality in the authority of the scriptures? Because one of the things that I I observe increasingly is that we have parents and even those who would be, I guess, the influencers in culture, even though they're trying to do a good thing and talking to kids about sexuality and sexual ethic, I find increasingly there is like this desire to have a common ground with um, secularists, right? So how do we find a way to paint a picture of being good people, being responsible people, but we want to remove from that the right fear and reverence for God and the way he's designed the body. Why should parents be careful not to try to have these conversations apart from the authority of God's word and even God's design for human sexuality? Well, we didn't put this in the book, but your question is very compelling. And it reminds me of what it says in Isaiah when God said to his people, all your righteousnesses are to me as filthy rags. Mm -hmm. And the word in Hebrew is menstrual thought. And uh, I mean, that is a, I mean, (laughs) teenagers know what that is. You know, they know what a tampon is. They know what a, a, a menstrual pad is. And the fact is that God is not impressed. We don't impress him or anyone with our behavior, which is what this basis that we would have with the world, we're all good people, because we don't impress God (laughs) with our behavior, even though it's necessary. We impress him with relationship with him and with faith in him. And so I think every every kid will will probably uh, say yes to the fact that when they're engaging in porn or premarital marital sex or something else, they're not having a feeling of closeness to God. Mm, yes. In fact, um, you, you talk about contemporary. Did you all see the news report that just came out, I think, yesterday? Billie Eilish, who is this, uh, I mean, she's, I think she was the only artist ever to win four Grammys in one year. I mean, she's like, she's a, a, a singer par excellence, teenager. And she talked about how her battle with porn that started when she was 11 
practically destroyed her life because mm. she couldn't think straight. She her, her first sexual experiences were all messed up, mm. and she blames it all on early access to porn. And so I didn't want to get off onto porn too early, but our kids are very aware of this because mm-hmm. they would have heard Billie Eilish herself say that. Mm-hmm. No, I don't I don't think wow. we can get off on this topic too early. And in fact, let's stay here because that's one of the things that's really compelling. I think that most parents, myself included, would be surprised to learn that our younger that our teens today are not having sex um, at the rates that teens before them were having sex. But that does not mean that they are pure. So mm. let's talk about the difference between our kids not having sex and the fact that there is still impurity among our kids and what that looks like and how we deal with those things. And I guess, namely, pornography addiction cannot be ignored. I'll let Beth take that one. That's her, her field. Um, I, I think the, the thing that has developed, and, it, and it's taken about 20 years now for this to develop, is there has become an idea that vaginal intercourse is the only thing that counts as having sex Mm. for a Christian teen. And so anything else that is sexual content is uh, okay because you're not having vaginal intercourse. Because our messages through churches and even through parents have been, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And we have not even defined what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I'll, I'll be talking to teens and, uh, young adults now, because their sexual knowledge is less than it was 15 or 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, we've been told don't do it. And I'll say, what's it? And they say, well, whatever our parents think it is. And so we, we have not done a good, good job of identifying this whole continuum of sexual behavior being the sex that the Bible talks about. It's a whole continuum. And in fact, in one of the chapters of the book, we talk about boundaries. I, I drop a continuum of sexual behaviors that begins with hugging and kissing, holding hands, and ends up with uh, vaginal and anal sex. And there's three different levels in there, which, you know, are kind of arbitrarily assigned. But if you ask kids today to define it, they would say everything that's not vaginal sex is not sex. And everything in vaginal sex is the only thing the Bible talks about. Now, not all of them will say that, but that's kind of what they have gotten from how we have talked about sexuality in churches, to be honest, even in churches. And so it's a huge step to begin to talk about there's a whole continuum of sexual behavior and and exposure to sexual knowledge. Mm -hmm. And we need to talk about what the Bible teaches about all of that Mm -hmm. and be very open about what the Bible teaches. Oh my goodness. I I want to ask a follow-up question, but I hear the music and we're going to a break here. So I know that it's not going to be enough time. Um, let me ask the question and then, then we'll just pick up with this on the other side. To the point that you just made, Dr. Robinson, I'm, I'm wondering if a parent were to have a conversation with their kid and the kid says, no, I'm not having sex. And, and no, yeah, oh, I, of course, I understand all of that. And the parent, you know, could be very tempted to walk away going, great, hole in one. I'm doing a great job. (laughs) But what the kid has not revealed is that the kid may be doing 
everything else that is not mm. what the parent traditionally thinks of as sexual intercourse. It could be pornography consumption. It could be sexting. It could be all of these things. How do we ask the right questions and how do we biblically present the case for purity as God has defined it? Um, let's think about that. We'll take the break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Tremble Mosaic MSC. Our guests are doctors Beth Robinson and Latane Scott. They're the co-authors of Talking with Teens About Sexuality, Critical Conversations About Social Media, Gender Identity, Same-Sex Attraction, Pornography, Purity, Dating, etc. And um, before we went to the break, I think we were discussing an et cetera of sorts. <laughs> I think we were, we were talking about um, parents kind of, I guess, being in the, I don't know. I don't want to say delusion. I, I don't know. Naive. How do you describe it? We're naive. naive. We're naive. And, yeah. and we have a definition for sex. And we are hopeful that when we communicate with our kids mm-hmm. and we talk about sexuality and we talk about purity, we're hopeful that we are actually defining our terms the same way they and are defining the their page. terms. <laughs> right. Um, I think the research and what our guests are revealing to us today is that we're not on the Mm, same page. And so the conversation that we could be having with our kids, um, we could be getting the answers that make us feel better, but they are simply answering our questions according to how we define and Mm. they believe they Mm -hmm. should define for us. So my question before the break was, how do we ask the right questions to drill down to this heart issue, um, the question of purity, and then what becomes the biblical foundation for how we respond to our kids when we learn, if we learn that they are engaging in activity that while it is not sexual intercourse, it is still impure. How do we have that conversation? And I know that that's a, that's a big long question, but Dr. Robinson, I'm confident that you'll be able to help us wade through all that I'm asking. (laughs) Well, I, I would like to shift parents away from, asking questions the way they probably do, which is a very direct question about, are you doing this or mm-hmm. things like that? You, you get a lot more information from your children when you engage them in conversation using teachable moments. Okay. So uh, the story about the singer that Latane mentioned, Dr. Mm-hmm. Scott mentioned, is, is a great place to start. You don't say, are, are you viewing porn? You say, hey, I saw this today. Mm-hmm. You know, take a minute and read it and talk about it and say, you know, what do you think about that? You get a lot of information by starting That's a conversation good. that way, which is not nearly as threatening. And, and if you want to know what they think about it and they think something very different than you do, you don't need at that point to lecture them. You need to ask them, what do you think I think about it? And if they can tell you your views, or better yet, what do you think the Bible says about it, that's how the conversation goes. Mm-hmm. You ask mm-hmm. the questions, not in an accusing way, but in a curious way, and kind of tone your voice down 
and have real conversations, not lectures. I, I always say, you know, we, we need to be green in this world, so let's save all the oxygen we can by getting parents not to use lectures because most of the time it's a waste of oxygen to lecture <laughs> your kids. They don't hear you. In fact, I've had kids come to counseling who numbered their parents' lectures. And oh, they wow. would talk to me in counseling and say, oh, that was lecture number seven, the one where she says this. Wow. So we, we need to be talking to our kids in a way that they can hear us. Yes. And that's yes. these ongoing conversations. This is really and, good. And I think some of this is really scary. I, I think most of this is really scary for parents. And, and I think um, especially for Christian parents, which would be the majority of our listening audience, um, it makes us a little bit anxious to have to explore what our culture is um, pushing out to our kids today. They are inundated with sexual images. In fact, I had a conversation just the other day with our, she'll be 15 next month. Our, so basically our 15 year old and um, she was working. She's, she's writing something and she was working and she's got a music app on her device. And this um, on the home screen of the music app, it, it's music you should be listening to. So it, it's presenting the music and she comes to me and she goes, I just want to tell you, she goes, and I know that this probably means that you're going to say this app has to be removed from my device. She goes, but it um, popped up suggested music that I should be listening to. And she goes, some of the images were really bad. And she goes, but I wanted to tell you so that you would know. And I said, no, I know that those music apps will do that. They will suggest listening to you or listening music that you should listen to. Right. And I said, but I want you to understand you are going to live in the world where you're going to be surrounded and inundated by images. Now, what's the difference between an image popping up on the screen and you lingering at that image or you clicking on that music and decide, you know, those things are two totally different things. And, and I, I realized that in that conversation, she had this picture that we're, we're trying to, um, create a sanitized world for her, you know, even as we're trying to protect her and it's taken a long time for her to be able to have a device that she can work on. And so we're, we have, a, we have some measures in place and things like that. But I'm wondering if as parents, maybe sometimes in that conversation, we may be presenting to our kids um, something that is unrealistic. And, and if so, how do we help them to live healthy lives in the world that they live in when they will be inundated by so many unhealthy sexual images? I think, I think it's beautiful what your daughter already did. Because what that says to me is your daughter is being equipped to make healthy spiritual decisions for herself. Hmm. So I think your approach has been excellent. Rather than just removing that music app, saying to her, can you click past that? Can you say, I dislike this? So that that music doesn't keep coming back because that's what she needs to do as an adult. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you could have a conversation with her about, can she do that? Or does she need you to do that? Mm -hmm. Kids will tell you, believe it or not. Yes. If you give kids the chance to, to set boundaries, kids are usually pretty honest. Yes. If they don't think they're going to get punished and they'll say, no, I need you to do this for me still. You're right. And, yeah. And I, I want to back our whole conversation up to, okay. you know, I think the foundational thing that we miss in talking about sexuality with kids starts in Genesis 2, where God created us in our, His image. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have tended to separate sexuality from God and the Bible, and 
God sexual and that can be landmark for kids to hear mm-hmm. for you to talk about that way and say God knows this whole struggle mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. let's talk about how much God cares about you and all the stuff he cre- he put in the Bible mm-hmm. to keep you safe because he loves you amen yeah. you know one of the biggest impediments I think you know when we talk about pornography and things like that you know as we're talking about parenting is that parents are dealing with that same stuff, Yeah. you know, and there has to be um, some accountability and, and things happening, you know, uh, on the parental level. Yes. You know, what are you watching? What are you know, how can we adequately help our children if we are, you know, immersed in the same in the same stuff? And mm. I think that's one. Of, that's a big problem that we're facing as well. I, I will affirm that <laughs> when I have gone to speak with parents about talking with their teens about sexuality and issues with their teens. Almost all the follow-up phone calls I get in emails are about the sexual struggles the parents are having. Wow. Um, and, and you are correct about that. And we need to find a place in our church communities mm-hmm. where individuals can find support and accountability yeah. to address as parents and adults their own sexuality issues. Yeah. Let me let me ask this question. I'm not sure who um, will want to respond to this, Dr. Robinson, Dr. Scott. Uh, we get emails all the time and all kinds of questions. One of the questions that we do get is, so when should we start to talk to our kids about sexuality and about the things that basically when should we talk to our kids about the things that you guys give disclaimers on on your show like when you say like (laughs) have you have you when did you have this conversation with your kids about homosexuality and and the when is the right time to do that is there a fixed answer for that if so what is it and when we begin what are the sort of the guidelines for having that conversation with our kids i guess i'll take this robinson yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> believe it or not your conversations about sexuality believe begin with your kids almost from the time they're born and you don't realize it hmm. because if we're being healthy about sexuality when we name body parts we don't get embarrassed about that we don't come up mm-hmm. with funny names we use body part names and um, when we're preparing our kids to go to school by the time they're five they should know uh, what private parts of the body are and how to tell if they're not safe Hmm. Kids should have all that knowledge by age five. And Mm -hmm. so if you're doing sexual safety with young children and you're explaining to them where babies come from, you've started sex education there. Mm -hmm. The problem is that when parents duck those conversations, they're not nearly (laughs) as well equipped for the next conversations that are coming. And I, I believe there should be lots of conversations at every age because kids are going to be exposed to different material. Mm-hmm. They're going to go to school, be around friends who are going to use some words. Mm-hmm. And we need to talk about what those mean and why we don't use those in our family. And if you're the parent who could have those conversations all along the way, your kids will come to you. Mm-hmm. Or there will be teachable moments in the media, in their music, other places that naturally occur. And here's how you know when you've given kids enough information. Mm-hmm. If a child says, where does a baby come from? And you say, it comes from mommy's tummy. And they go, okay. That's enough information for their age and stage of where they are. Mm-hmm. But when they say, well, how did it get in there? Yeah. How does it come out? <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> They're ready for more information. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And so if you let kids guide the conversation, you will provide the information they need at the mm-hmm. time that they're ready for that information. And it mm-hmm. will be different for every kid. So Dr. Robinson, so if a seven-year-old comes up to a parent and and he says, okay, maybe at five, he said, so where do babies come from? How did the baby get in in your tummy? You know, how do you know how to answer that question in a way that it's appropriate for a seven-year-old? Um, and even like, and, and so how does the baby get out? You, I think most parents, we're trying in our minds, listen, everybody will admit if we're honest, we're tr- just trying not to mess our kids up. Like we're really just, we're trying not to, not to scar them. You know what I mean? Like down the line, we're trying to avoid, Hey, Dr. Robinson, you have any openings? You know what I mean? Like that's what we're trying to avoid. So, so when you think about these questions for a seven-year-old, like, what do we need to be thinking? Because we want to tell the truth. Like, we want to be honest. And and look, I, I will be super transparent here. So when my seven-year-old son says, okay, because we just had a baby a year ago. So he's graduated from how do the babies, you know, get into the tummy? Okay, well, there's a mommy and there's a daddy, right? And then he says, how does the baby come out? So then you're like, oh, well, can he handle that? Like, how do we, how do we know how to answer those questions in a way that would be glorifying to God and appropriate for our kid? Okay. First of all, I'm going to tell you, it takes a whole lot more to screw up your kids than you think it does. Okay. So you all need to take a deep breath. <laughs> yes. That is so comforting. Yes. A little conversation or two about how babies come out. You know, it, it's a great time to say, you know, God made women's bodies really special. And there's a hole between mama's legs that gets bigger and the baby can come out when when women are pregnant. And then the hole gets smaller after the baby comes out. That's a seven-year-old explanation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, amazingly, and I, and I would imagine there are so many times that I wish that we, like, lived on a farm. You know what I mean? There's so many times yeah, that I, I wish right. I've, I've talked to some people who live on a farm and they're like, oh, yeah, we just let them see the cow giving birth and, and or they watch the horse and, and then they're good. And I'm like, but what about the city slickers? What about the people who do not live on a farm? So, you know, th- that is one of those things where I think, you know, we're looking at it and maybe for ourselves, we've got to be comfortable with the way God has designed the human body, that these things are reality. And I want to touch on this and get your take because we're running out of time here quickly. If we're honest, I think in the Christian setting, we have made sexual intimacy something that is dirty. Even though we don't say that, we have removed from this experience the fact that it's created and designed by God, and it's a gift that he's given to us. How do we get that back? You know, I, I, I'm sorry, Dr. Scott, I, I'm jumping in again. Um, I, I'm going to say we need to go back and reread Genesis. You know, we we sanitize Genesis when we teach it to kids, but there's a whole lot of information in there about sexuality and that God understood that we were sexual from the get-go. And he created sex whenever you study all the hormones and the bonding that takes place. It's incredible how it bonds two people together. There's no way that only, only a supernatural God could have come up with sexuality that creates this amazing bond between a man and a woman thank you for that yeah we are at the end of the show um so thank you so much for being our guest today that look that stuff was very uh informative and i can i can i know that we're going to use a lot of this you know with our children as we read the book so i just want to say thank you to our guest today 
This has been Aaron Addison's here, American Family Radio. And I'll just sign off for Miki. God bless. <laughs>